Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. Just a little word about Patsy. I visited with her yesterday morning uh, for Kathy and I were there for an hour and a half, maybe. Um, and uh, it was a really, really good visit. And towards the end, uh, when I was getting ready to leave and I was praying with her, before I prayed, I said, Patsy, I just have to ask, how is it with your soul? You know, that's the old Wesleyan question that, that was always asked when uh, Wesleyan covenant groups would get together. And, and so I said, how is it with your soul? And she said, I'm good. I'm really good. And so uh, that, that it's just such a challenge in a beautiful way to be with someone uh, like Patsy, you know, who just constantly strong faith. And I'm sure that there are times when she's struggling, but uh, she really is a, is a great exemplary figure of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So anyway, for those of you who are friends with Patsy, you know that uh, her soul, her, her, it is well with her soul. We are picking up uh, again, once again, in this sermon series that we're calling Traveling Through the Bible. And the reason we're doing this sermon series is twofold. One, I want to engage our imagination in the places of Scripture that we hear about and sometimes are still on the news. And the other is, we are traveling this summer. The crowds uh, the last couple of weeks have started to get a little bit closer to normal. We're not quite back to the summer uh, travel schedule being gone, but we're getting back to normal. And I wanted to do this as a way of affirming to you that we should travel. When you get to go on vacation or whenever you get to go and see friends and relatives and places that you've always wanted to see, go and do that and enjoy that. Oftentimes during the summer months, especially during the summer months, people will miss two or three weeks in a row of church and they're gone for some reason visiting or whatever and they come back and they say, oh, Pastor, I'm sorry I missed the last few weeks. And I, I always want to say, don't say that. Don't be sorry. Go and do what you have to do. And uh, between services, uh, Steve Georgie, who, if you know Steve, uh, he's it, that guy is in love with this church, by the way. Steve and Sue joined uh, after the middle service just an hour or so ago. And um, he said, you need to stop telling us to feel sorry about that. He said, we're not sorry, like feeling guilty about it. We're sorry that we couldn't be in two places at one time. And so um, I take that uh, in consideration. But at the same time, don't feel bad if you have to travel. But include us in your travels by taking pictures of the place you go and sending places you go and sending to the, uh, sending them to us to share with us what you're doing this summer while you're traveling. So today we're going uh, in Scripture to a place that a lot of us might have heard about. It's a place called Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is famous mostly for the story that we're about to read together this morning. Um, and to just give you a little understanding of Mount Carmel, it's not big. It's like 1,700 feet. The top of it's about 1,700 feet above altitude, above sea level. And to give you some perspective, Baylor Pass is 5,200 feet above sea level. As you're going over over the mountain, when you get to the top, it's 5,200 feet. So 1,700 feet above sea level just isn't that high for those of us who live in, in uh, the mountain states. And we're kind of at the low end of the mountain states right here. So uh, we around here would call it a big hill, maybe. It might be a little bit smaller than a mountain, basically, is how uh, the size of Mount Carmel. And so 
Um, we're going to be imagining what, that we're on top of a hill, that we're kind of looking down over a valley from the top of this hill as you hear this story. This story, hang on, this story <laughs> is a good one. And I'm going to stop periodically as I'm reading it to kind of set it up some and explain some few, a few things to you. But before we get started, it's in 1 Kings chapter 18. This is the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. If you've not heard that story before, I hope you enjoy it. If you've heard it before, I hope you can hear it with fresh ears and clear eyes once again. But to set it up, you need to know that the king of Israel at the time was a man named, any Sunday school teachers know? Ahab. And so Ahab was married to, who said Jezebel? Gosh, I knew it. I knew it. So, yeah, he was married to Jezebel. Jezebel was a foreigner who worshipped a lot of different gods, which was a pretty common thing in ancient times. Believe it or not, they both, even the Israelites understood in their minds somehow, they thought they understood anyway, that there was more than one God. And so when there was a battle of some sort, the winner of that battle determined whose God was more powerful. And we're going to see a battle sort of like that today while we're standing on the top of Mount Carmel. But... Jezebel worshipped multiple gods. One of them was called Baal. And Baal is actually the Baals because there were various forms of Baals. This one in particular was like the god of storms and rain and that sort of thing. And so um, Ahab, because his wife was a follower of these multiple gods, had kind of taken some off of the buffet of gods also. Like, oh, I want some of this and... I want some of that, and I want some of this that this God has to offer, and thought that all these gods had different things to offer that were great, but still wanted to be considered an Israelite. And so in the process, he, as the king, had led other Israelites astray. And that's where we pick the story up. This man named Elijah is a prophet of God. So when you hear the word Lord, or the Lord, it's talking about Hashem, the God that we worship. And so... This prophet Elijah is ready to do some battle. And his thing is, he's really, really concerned. His heart is breaking and he's fearful that the people who are following all of these other gods are being led astray and it's breaking his heart for them. This is 1 Kings chapter 18, starting with verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the Israelites and assembled the prophets at Mount Carmel. Elijah then came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Basically, he's saying, choose. Stop doing this buffet type thing. Pick one God or the other, but you are really screwing up by trying to straddle the fence and take two different opinions here. So stop doing that. If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. So if you've ever taught Sunday school, you know that feeling. You ask a question, and this is what you get. Or you say, uh, who would like to open us with prayer? Who, who would like to close us with prayer this morning? It's just crickets, right? Nobody wants to speak up. That's what Elijah was experiencing. Just nothing but silence. 
Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets number 450. Let two bulls be given to us. Then let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood. But put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is indeed God. All the people answered, well spoken. So finally they speak up. They think it's a good, a good test here, and so they finally speak up. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many. Then call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So they took the bowl that was given them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, crying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no answer. They limped about the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, surely he is God. Maybe he's meditating, or he's wandered away, or, or he's on a journey, or shh, perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Then they cried aloud, and as was their custom, they cut themselves with swords and lances until the blood gushed out over them. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation. But there was no voice, no answer, no response. Then Elijah said to all the people, come closer to me. And all the people came closer to him. First, he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to contain two measures of seed. Next, he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Again, he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time so that the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of oblation, the prophet Elijah came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage 
as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. Prophetic ministry is this strange thing that we kind of have a hard time getting our feet on. It's hard to really get a grip on and understand what it is. It's multifaceted, really. In my mind, when I think of a prophet, the first thing that kind of comes to mind is this contemplative desert-dwelling hermit. And she or he works their way into town sometimes, calling out something prophetic about the future, right? And that is one way of understanding prophecy, is somebody who is foretelling about the future. I have a friend, um, he several years, I guess he was, th- he was a freshman when I was a senior in high school. He was a really good kicker in football. He was a good kicker and punter. And he had several scholarship offers to play college football as a kicker, which is a rare thing, really. Kickers, they don't get scholarship offers a whole lot. And this guy got a couple of scholarship offers. And then he took one to SMU, which probably was a mistake because they're terrible, especially back in the late 90s, were really, really bad. Which might say he wasn't that good of a kicker now that I'm thinking about it. Not this guy. It was a good school, but he wasn't going there for the education, I promise. And he was, they were so bad, by the way, that he led the team in tackles as a freshman on special teams. Janet, your kicker and punter should not be leading the team in special teams tackles. And so, but the thing is, when he was in college, he went back home one weekend and was at church with his family, and there was a prophet at their church preaching that morning. And that prophet said to him that he would be kicking in the NFL after he got out of high school or out of college. Guess what? He never kicked in the NFL. Not even a single time. Not even He didn't even get invited to any camps. But that's the idea that we have of a prophet, right? Somebody who will stand up in front of us and tell us what the future holds. But in Scripture, most of the time, a prophet is doing the work of forth-telling. Talking about the things that are currently happening and what they will lead to. And so we get the idea that a prophet is telling us about the future, but what the prophet is really doing is saying, if you continue on in these ways, this will be the result of that action. And no one wants to be the prophet. Because nobody likes the prophet. Nobody likes the person who says, look, this is actually a sinful thing that if you're doing, and if you continue on in living this way, this is the potential result of that. Nobody wants to hear that. I met a guy one time and was fortunate to spend several uh, days with him. His name is Tex Sample. Anybody ever met Tex or heard of Tex? That's really his name, by the way. That's his given name, Tex. He's never lived in Texas that I know of. He lives in Phoenix, Arizona now. And he was the longest tenured ethics professor at St. Paul School of Theology when he was still working. And I met him at Sacramento Methodist Assembly. He'd been really involved in the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. And he and I were sitting one day after he slaughtered me in horseshoes. And we were sitting together talking. And I said, so Tex... You were really involved in the civil rights movement. And there's some stuff. This was in like uh, 2007. I know exactly when it was. It was summer of 2007. And I said, you were really involved in the civil rights movement. What's next? Like, where does the church need to be active now? And he goes, the church 
needs to be preaching and teaching and engaging one another to repent from the sin of greed. And he said, if we do not repent of that sin, our economy is going to collapse. This was in 2007. Remember what happened in 2008? That is prophetic. That is somebody recognizing a sin and calling that public sin out and saying, if we don't, this is what's going to happen. That's how people in the scripture that were prophets, we've understood it as them foretelling about the future, but they're actually foretelling about current events. Nobody wants to be that person. But Elijah is there. He's looking and he's seeing that these people are eating from the smorgasbord of gods and picking and choosing what they want and what this God can provide and what that God can provide. And he's concerned about it because they are his people. It's the nation of Israel and they've been led astray by their king. And so he decides he's going to speak about it. And the story that we see where God has the victory, Elijah really struggles after this. He has to go into hiding and they're hunting for him because nobody really likes a prophet. Does anybody like stand-up comedy? Oh, I love stand-up comedy. I, I, I watch a lot of it. I listen to a lot of it. I study it sometimes. And I think that stand-up comics are prophets. A lot of the time, they come in at a weird, slanted angle to tell us the truth about who we are. Well, there's a comic, his name is Bo Burnham. Anybody know Bo Burnham? Your hand was up mightily last service, too. So did you have your hand up? So Bo Burnham, I listened to a podcast that he was on a few weeks ago. It's called Good One. And on Good One, this podcast host will invite a comedian in, and they talk about one single joke that that comedian tells. And so Bo Burnham has this thing that he did for a while where he would, uh, he was actually making fun of Kanye West. Got any Kanye West fans in the house? Come on, people. I love Kanye. He's just crazy and ingenious in a strange, bizarre way. Anyway, Kanye would do this thing at the end of his concerts a few years ago where they would auto-tune his voice and then he would just rant. He would make up a song and he would rant things about like, we should have never let Michael Jordan play for the Wizards. We should sell the Bulls to Michael Jordan. Just ridiculous things that nobody really cares about. Well, Bo Burnham saw this act and decided he was going to do something like it at the end of his comedy routine. And so he does this whole thing about, this is the problem I have in my life. They won't tell me at Chipotle that I shouldn't put that much lettuce in my burrito because everything's popping out and you're the expert. You should tell me I'm putting too much in my burrito and the Pringles can. Why do they make them so small? I can't get my hand in and they're going to break all the chips. And then he goes on to say, but my real problem is you to his audience. Because I want you to like me. So I don't say what I really want to say. Because if I said what I really want to say, I'm afraid you won't like me. And I need you to like me because you buy these tickets. And I'm caught in this trap here where you're buying tickets to pay for the things that I need to provide for myself and my friends and family. And and you are my problem. And then he goes on to say, I don't know if I can take this anymore. The work of a prophet is really difficult. So Elijah has these people in front of him and he calls them out and he says, choose, choose a God 
Quit being crazy and thinking that you can have all of this. Pick one or the other. If that God is God, then go with that God. If this God is God, then go with this God. But stop doing the thing. And they don't choose. They're completely silent. And they sit back and they watch the prophets of Baal do their thing and nothing happens, right? Nothing is happening. And they're still doing their thing. And in the process, Elijah comes over to the side and he's like, hey, come closer to me. And now they're listening, right? So they come closer to him. And he says, we're going to do some things, people. We're going we're gonna to put our faith into action. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to repair the altar of the Lord. So I'm going to gather up 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel. The tribe that God, the tribes and the nation that God put together. And we're going to build an altar with those stones. And then around that altar, I'm going to dig a trench. And it's not just going to be like a small little thing. It's going to be enough to hold a lot of seed. It's a lot. It's going to be a big, deep trench. Anybody ever tried to dig a hole on top of a rocky mountain? Not like the rocky mountains, like a rocky hill. It is not easy. He's working hard. I don't think he's picking up rocks. He's grabbing stones. He's probably having to roll them, maybe pick them up and carry them to where he wants them to be, drop them down, pile them on top of each other. So he's working really hard in the desert. And he digs a deep trench. And he says, after we dig the trench... We're going to lay, arrange the wood on top of it. I've got to get the wood piled up just right so that I then, when I slaughter the bull and pile the meat up on top for the burnt offering, everything will be set. But hold up. After we've done all that, I need you to go fill up these three big jugs full of water. And the people who wouldn't answer him decide they're going to answer. So they fill up the three jugs. They come back. He says, pour it on it all. And do it again. And they do it again. And he says, do it one more time. To where, the point to where the trench is full of water. The, wad, the wood is waterlogged and probably wanting to float. And, and the meat is all wet. And he can't set a fire himself. It's obvious. And then what happens? He says a prayer to God. Listen to his prayer. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that this people may know you. Lord, you are God. And answer me so that they will know you have turned their hearts back. Prophets are always trying to point people toward God. It's not about Elijah. It's about God. All the time. And all he is doing is arranging things so that he can see God at work. He's arranging things so that he can see that God is at work and so that the people around him can see God at work. And he makes the arrangement. He does the whole thing. He puts his faith into action so that other people can see it's not about him. It's about God. 
When we serve in the food pantry, it's not about us, it's about God. When we show up to Bible studies, it's not about us, it's about God. When we do the things that we do, whether it be singing or praying or reading or... By the way, did you know that you all have a job? This is a worship service. This isn't a worship gathering. You are here to serve one another. It makes me feel like laughing every time I hear somebody say, well, I don't like that song. Well, it's not for you. It's for the person across the room who loves that song and is feeling separated from God somehow. And the louder that you sing that song, the more connected they might feel to God. It's a worship service. We are here to serve. We are here to arrange things so that we can see God at work. I am here to arrange things so that I can see God at work, and I hope you can too. Because it's not my strength or your strength or Elijah's strength that wins that battle. It's God's strength. And my prayer for you and for myself, mostly for myself, but also for you, is that when we go back and read this story, or we go back and we think about this story, that we would not be focused on Elijah, but we would be focused on the God of Elijah. That we wouldn't be focused on the work that Elijah did, but we would be focused on the work that God did in turning people's hearts back to God. And oh my goodness, we need that. I feel like every other day I need God to turn my heart back toward God. And we, as followers of Jesus, need to focus on the work of God and arrange our lives in a way that we can see the work of God. Because God is who we should be lifting up. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.